Waiting is not something that we as humans are particularly very good at. We seek out all sorts of ways to bypass the easy types of waiting, right? We microwave our food instead of putting it in the oven. We order ahead on the app so as soon as we get there, we can grab our coffee or food from the counter. We don't have to wait in line. We check in for our flights the night before on the app so we don't have to wait in line at the airport. We bypass the easy waiting because it's not enjoyable. And none of those things are wrong, right? It's not wrong to do those things unless you microwave your pizza rolls, which that's just nasty, and we'll talk about that later. But none of those things are necessarily wrong, right? But what about waiting when it's hard? What about when we're forced to wait? What about when the waiting is uncomfortable? This could be a number of circumstances. It could be waiting to have a baby. It could be waiting to get pregnant. It could be waiting from prognosis results from your doctor. Waiting on a college acceptance letter. Waiting on a call back from that job. Do these seasons of waiting even hold a purpose? Do we wait for nothing? What about when the waiting gets hard? Insert Advent. The word Advent comes from the Latin word Adventus, which means coming. It's a sort of anticipation, the anticipation of the coming Christ. In Bible times, the Messiah who was to come, God in flesh. The purpose of Advent is waiting. For hundreds of years, God's people waited. They waited in slavery. They waited in wandering. They waited in persecution. All this, they waited for the Messiah who was to come, their great hope. Their waiting for the Messiah was hard, just as ours is. If you read through the Old Testament, they waited through moral decay, they waited through frustration, they waited through anger, they waited through divided people, they waited through familial generational deep-seated issues. Unlike our cute Advent setup, waiting doesn't always come wrapped in some nice garland with some pretty colors. In the deepest parts of our souls, we feel Paul's words that he preaches in Romans 8.22 when he says, we know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. They're waiting, they're groaning. I had the privilege to be present for the birth of my best friend's first child. And it was the most beautiful thing, one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen. And in those waiting moments, they were also anticipatory. And it's the perfect picture of what Paul is saying here. As you know, if you've been present for the birth of a child or if you've had one yourself, it's not magic. You don't walk into the hospital and, achoo, baby. That's not how that game works. You don't sneeze and your baby is born clean with a big bow on top sitting in your arms. It's anticipatory. It's hard. There is waiting. 
We live in a culture of hurriedness. We are addicted to speed, and it consistently keeps us from these moments of waiting. If we're not just totally bypassing them and getting our product immediately, we are filling these moments of waiting with other things, with distractions. We're stuffing these God-sized holes in these seasons of waiting. And I know we long for more. I know we do. I know we long for hope, a joy, a sense of fullness. We long for results. We long. I know that we do. But this is why we need Advent. We, as a busy and impatient culture, need to be interrupted. We must not waste our season of wait, Radiant Church. We need to rely on Jesus. We need to lean on him fully. We need to draw close to the arms of a loving and hope-giving Father. This is why we need this season of Advent. We need to be interrupted. And as Christ's unified church, one body, one voice, I look forward to being interrupted with you this season. Would you pray with me? Jesus, Jesus, you are our hope. You are the giver of all good and beautiful things. And you are also with us in the waiting. You are with us in the season when the land seems dry, when it seems like there will be no harvest. As we are waiting and wandering, God, you are there, Jesus. The coming of the Messiah, as we'll be talking about today, is a perfect picture of our hope. It is our hope. You are our hope. Jesus. And we praise you this morning, Father God. We love you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen. God, you threw the whole world a curveball when you showed us a kind of hope we'd never thought to look for. Born of poverty between the walls of a rickety barn and into the fragile arms of a nervous young mom. Jesus arrived, unable to defend himself, much less anyone else. We'd been hoping for security, and you gave us a baby. And then, the expectations kept being shattered. Jesus healed those who could do nothing for him. He handed out hope to people the world turned away. Jesus showed us a new way of life a life that works from the inside out. Hope lives with us, then inside us, and moves from our hearts into the world. Jesus gave us hope beyond this life, hope no one else has to give, hope that shows up in a manger as a gift we don't deserve, but we gratefully receive. We call him Jesus. He is Emmanuel, God with us. Amen. Welcome to the first week of Advent. Uh, if you grew up in a, I grew up Catholic, so for which I'm very thankful. 
uh, if you grew up Catholic or Lutheran or Episcopalian, maybe Presbyterian or something like that, maybe this was part of your tradition every year. We had a, a uh, Advent wreath that we lit the candle on every week, and we continued that with our kids when they were small, and that wreath exists somewhere, but honestly, we haven't done that for years. Um, so, uh, but welcome to Advent. Uh, I want to start with this. Uh, because Advent, the first Sunday of Advent is about hope. That's the theme of this first, first week. Uh, so I want to start with this. It's interesting to note when you read through the Gospels that when you come to the resurrection, uh, every Gospel account of the resurrection begins at the same time. It begins in the morning. It begins on the dawn of a new day. Uh, just before Jesus is risen, because Jesus is risen at the beginning of a new day. So if you look at uh, Luke 21, take a look at this scripture real fast. That's, yeah, that's it. Thank you. Um, So I'm not going to read all that, but you get the gist of uh, just scanning through that, that that's all kind of heavy stuff. It's kind of foreboding, and man, what's going on here? What do we have to look forward to? But it's interesting to note that when uh, Christ talks about his return, the return of the Son of Man. It's not a heavy, scary thing. You notice what he never says in there? He never says, hey, the end is coming. Watch out. Better run and hide. Take cover. Prepare yourself. He he never says any of that. There's actually hope. Uh, We wait and we watch. He says, when you see the signs of the Son of Man, um, take courage. It's a reason for hope. Christ's second coming is not terrifying. It's a reason for hope. Uh, We lift up our heads. That's what the psalmist says in Psalm 121. I lift up my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Psalm 121 is a psalm of ascent, one of the psalms of ascent that the uh, Israelites would uh, recite as they went up to the holy place, to the temple. I lift up on purpose, despite the circumstances, I lift up my eyes I lift up my head to the Lord, okay? So Christians are people who lived oriented toward the future, toward something uh, that's, that's present now, but also something that's coming down the road. Well, when you and I express hope, and we use the word hope in a sentence, it usually has some element of doubt in there. Here's a couple examples. Um, things that I have no control over. I hope my team wins. I have no input in that whatsoever. I just hope they win. They may, they may not. When we express hope in another way, it's usually uh, some things that we have a little input in. Uh, so I prepared myself. I studied. I, I took care of what I needed to take care of. I did what I needed to do. And so in that context, I hope that I've invested well, say financially, or I hope that I raised my kids well, that I did the right thing for them. Uh, and that I raise them well. So those are things I have a little input in, but uh, there's still a little element of doubt, of uncertainty. I don't really quite know. But biblical hope that we're going to look at this morning is very, very focused and much more specific, and it actually removes any shred of doubt whatsoever. Biblical hope doesn't have any room for doubt. Biblical hope uh, is a word that uh, the word hope has this expectation or this connotation of expectation and trust and confidence, specifically expectation of something that's sure. It's a slam dunk. You can take it to the bank, okay? Psalm 62 is written in the midst of trouble, and it says this, says, um, my soul find rest in God, my hope 
That is, my expectation, my trust, and my confidence comes from him. Truly, he is my rock and my salvation. He's my fortress, and I will not be shaken. All right? So here's how specific God is about hope. I want to drill down on this word hope a little bit and show you how specific God is about that in his word. Go to Hebrews chapter 11, and it says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for. It's the evidence of things not seen. That's good. I think you'd agree. That, that's good. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. But as they say on the in- infomercial, right at the end, wait, there's more. It gets even better, okay? Titus chapter 2 says this. He says, The grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait, here it is, for the blessed hope, which is the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so there's hope, and then there's blessed hope. There's hope, and then there's blessed hope, okay? And this Hebrew word for, used in the scripture for the word blessed means this. It refers to God making himself large, enlarging himself, drawing near to us. Draw near to God, and he'll draw to near, near to you, right? It refers to God uh, actually extending himself, his favor toward us, and uh, his benefits toward us. And there's a connotation in there. In the original language, I'll get to in just a second, okay? So hope is help in time of need. Blessed hope is help in time of need, and it's hope for what's coming in the future, the coming of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So here's a working definition of hope. God extending himself toward us, that produces expectation, trust, and confidence in him. And here's the added connotation in the original language. It makes us enviable. Now, that's not our motivation to make other people envious. That's one of the byproducts of hope is that people look at us in some way, shape, or form, and they have a certain amount of envy. And I don't mean dripping with jealousy or anything like that, just that they like what they see. They like what they hear. They like what they experience when they're around us because our hope is in Christ. Well, you've heard the old saying that uh, a picture paints a thousand words, right? That's because our brains um, work primarily on pictures. Some people are more uh, visually oriented than others, but by and large, our, uh, we all get that, that idea that a picture paints a thousand words. Here's an example, Psalm 1. How blessed is a person who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the path of sinners or sit in the seat of the mocker, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law, he meditates day and night. And here's the picture. That person will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of living water, which yields its fruit in season, and its leaf does not wither. And whatever that person does, they prosper. That's the picture for your brain. I want to quickly give you four pictures of hope, maybe things you've never thought of, four pictures of hope. And my hope, my prayer, is that uh, wherever you are today, maybe one of these pictures will really stick to your brain and help you pursue Jesus and give you hope, okay? So here we go. The first thing that hope is, is hope is a commodity. That might sound kind of strange. Hope is a commodity because a commodity is a natural resource or it's a supply or it's a good. It's something that we use to produce something else. 
And so when we say hope is a commodity, that, like I said, that might sound kind of strange. But think in terms of the things that God has given you, your personality, the talents and the abilities that you have, uh, the desires that you have, the interests that you have, the relationships that you have, spiritual gifts, your temperament. Think in terms uh, of those kinds of things as commodities. And here's what uh, Paul tells Timothy about a commodity, in this case a spiritual gift. He tells Timothy, fan into flame the gift that was given to you when I laid hands on you and prayed for you. So take that commodity, take whatever it is God has given you, and work it, use it, enlarge it, make it grow, make it useful to other people. A commodity like hope is similar to the gold coins that the wealthy landowner gave uh, three people in Matthew chapter 25. And when he came back, his expectation was that they invested those gold coins and they grew and they produced interest and he was able to get some payback on those things. Well, hope is intended to be used. It's intended to be given away, not hoarded. So hope is not a commodity that we hoard, that we scrape up for ourselves so we have a, a great life. It's something that's intended to be given away, and we'll talk more about that in just a second. Matthew 10, Jesus says, freely you've given, or freely you've received, freely give. Whatever you receive, give it away. Don't worry about running out. You won't run out. There'll be, there'll be plenty, okay? So think about the areas where you do have hope, areas in your life where you, you are hopeful. Maybe it's uh, your profession. Maybe it's your family. Maybe it's in a talent that, that you have. Whatever. It could be a million different things. But think about the, the hope in this way. The things that you put time and energy into, brain power. Maybe your back, good strong back. Things that you put time and energy and resource into, do they matter? Do the things that you put energy into, that you put hope in, do they matter? Are they going to be here today and gone tomorrow, or are they here for the long haul? Think about hope in that way. Here's a second picture of hope. Hope is a reservoir. Again, that might be kind of a strange idea about hope. Hope is a reservoir, and we all know what a reservoir is. Sailorville or Red Rock, you know, they're, they're intended to hold water or hold certain things in reserve so that we have them for later on. Hope is a reservoir, and when hope is depleted, when our hope runs low, then we start to turn uh, and maybe feel a little insecure. And Peter seems to know that, and he writes this in 1 Peter Go to our next slide. Thank you. It says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he's given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. And this inheritance is kept in heaven in a reservoir for you. So the hope that we have, that's why I just asked, think about the things you put hope in. Do they matter? The hope that we have in Christ never perishes, it doesn't go bad, it doesn't go stale, it never spoils, won't run out, won't, won't turn rotten, and it doesn't fade. It doesn't lose, lose its um, uh, potency over the course of time. It never turns uh, inert. It's always there for us, and it's kept in heaven, it's kept in reserve for us. And so hope is a reservoir. So that's how we can know that hope is secure. Here's a third thing that hope is. Hope is an anchor. Think about hope as an anchor. That one might start to make a little more sense to you because you probably think of a scripture that relates to that. We'll get there in just a second. But watch this short video talking about an anchor.
setting the anchor. That chain may look like overkill, but it actually helps set the anchor. Plus, it saves the end of the rope from getting torn up on the bottom. It might also look like there's too much line, but we need to let out about seven to 10 times as much anchor line as the depth of the water, depending on the wind strength and wave size. And we never anchor off the back of the boat. Instead, we anchor off the front. We slowly motor into the wind or current past where we want to end up. If we want to end up there, here's a good spot. And allow some room for changing currents and wind. Setting the anchor. All right, setting the anchor. If you uh, are uh, into fishing or boating, you probably relate to that. Um, and here's, here's the problem with that video, though. It is a real poor representation of the Christian life. Because a lot of people live their Christian life like that. Here's what I want. I, I know what I want. I know what I'm after. And so I'm going to anchor myself to Jesus, and he he's going to help me get it. And I would venture to say that not one of the disciples in Scripture would agree with that at all. That's, back, that's 180 degrees backwards. I anchor myself to Jesus, and wherever I drift, wherever he takes me, that's where I end up. See the difference? One is Jesus becomes a way, a means for me to get what I want. The other is I surrender what I want. I'm anchored to him. I drop anchor in him. And then wherever he and I go, that's, that's where we end up. That's a whole different look at the, at the Christian life. Um, and so Hebrews 6 says this. It says, we have this hope, which is God's promises, as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. So think about the anchors in your life. Think about the anchors, uh, the people, uh, the things uh, to which you've anchored yourself. And again, do they matter? Are they the right anchors? Now, we all need auxiliary anchors. I'm not saying we shouldn't um, uh, have good, trusted friendships and relationships. I'm not saying we shouldn't uh, use the gifts and the abilities and the talents that God has given us. We all have auxiliary anchors. Uh, Psalm, I think Psalm 20 says this, Some trust in horses, some trust in chariots, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. I would submit that uh, I'm not a military strategist, but I would submit that if you're going into battle, probably be a good idea to have horses and chariots than not, right? Um, but we don't put our ultimate trust in them. Our ultimate trust is in the Lord. We just utilize these things that he's provided as we go into battle. And so we need the horses and the chariots in the same way that we need the relationships in our lives. Uh, we need the spiritual gifts that God has given us and all the other things that he's blessed us. But we have to look at what is my ultimate anchor. I've got all these other things out here, and th those are good things, some of them. But ultimately, who is my hope in? Is it in him or, again, as with the uh, uh, reserve uh, is he just becoming a means to my end? Primary anchor is God's word. Should be God's word. Psalm 119 says that it's a light to my feet and a lamp for my path. It lights every step I take now and it lights up where I'm going. Hope is like that too. I have hope in him. He lights up where I'm at right now, where I am. And he lights up and he illuminates where we're going down the road. That's the ultimate hope. 
Well, hope is a commodity and a reservoir and an anchor. And finally, hope is a person. Hope is a person. Colossians 1 says, Paul, Paul says there that our hope is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you is the hope of glory. In the early 1700s, a, um, there's a pastor uh, and a cabinet maker, part-time pastor, part-time cabinet maker by the name of Edward Moat. Edward Moat wrote this uh, hymn, and the title of his hymn was uh, The Immutable Basis of a Sinner's Hope. The Immutable Basis, I don't know how you rhyme words with that, but maybe he did. The Immutable Basis of a Sinner's Hope. Now, he also passed, the name of the church that he pastored was called, get this, the name of his church was Strict Baptist Church. Sounds like a fun place, doesn't it? So between the title of the, the hymn and the church, I'm just going to say that maybe titling things wasn't Edward Moat's strong suit, right? But somewhere along the line, as time went by, uh, this hymn was renamed, and the name of the hymn became, My Hope is Built on Nothing Less Than Jesus' Blood and Righteousness. And so hope is a person. Hope is Jesus. The Jews called Jesus Mikwe um, Yisrael, uh, the hope of Israel, because our ultimate hope is a person. Well, I love in Scripture how ho- God defines hope in financial terms and things that we can, we can grasp, we can understand, means something to us. Did you know that this just came to me this past week as I was uh, preparing for this? It just, I've always seen this in front of me as I read Scripture, but it just leapt off the page at me. The Holy Spirit's a banker. Do you know the Holy Spirit was a banker? Take a look at the scripture. Here's different ways that God defines the Holy Spirit. He guarantees, look at all his banking language. He's a guarantee of the inheritance that's promised. He purchased for us. He's a first installment. He guarantees a promise. The Holy Spirit is a deposit guaranteeing what is come. All aimed at what's coming down the road. All aimed at hope. All aimed at hope. Paul says that uh, he, Jesus, canceled the debt that we had with him. The Holy Spirit's a banker. So with that in mind, I want to read Hebrews chapter 11 again from the Amplified Bible. And it says this. Now faith is the assurance or the title deed and the confirmation of things hoped for, divinely guaranteed, and the evidence of things not seen, the conviction of their reality, And that is faith comprehending as fact what cannot be experienced by the physical senses. That's a mouthful. Just take a second and look that over. Faith is the assurance of what can't be experienced by the physical senses. I have several things on my prayer list I've been praying about for, in some cases, years. And... um, my personality is not just naturally sunny and bright and, yeah, yahoo, that's just not me naturally. But on these things I'm, I've been praying about, I am 1,000% confident that the Lord is working these things out. I, I have not a doubt in my mind about these things being worked out. So, now if you've been taking a nap up until now, I want to ask you to dial in just for the next 30 seconds, okay? This is, if the, you only get this part that that'll be a win here's the basis for our hope maddie referred to it earlier the basis for our hope is something that god has already done jesus said on the cross it is finished right the basis ultimate basis of hope is something 
that has already been done. Watchman Nee, one of my favorite authors, I quote from him all the time. He says this, and if you're an English or a literature teacher, please forget, forgive the grammar, but this is the way he wrote it. He says, Christianity begins not with a big do, but with a big done. Christianity begins not with a big do, something I've got to race and get done, or Jesus needs to do. It begins with, it's done. It is finished, as Jesus said. Okay? In other words, when the down payment is made, when a down payment is made on something, you don't have to wonder whether it's yours. It is. It has your name on it. It belongs to you. You might not possess it yet, but it belongs to you. Here's another way to say that same thing. Okay? You don't wonder whether it's yours. You wonder because it's yours. There are certain things that, that I've not obtained yet. They're not in my hand. Uh, I, I, I can't grasp them as yet, but I don't wonder whether they'll be mine. I, I wonder because they're mine. I picture Abram out in the wilderness, and the Lord took him out and said, Hey, look at the stars of the sky. If you can number these, your descendants will outnumber all these. And Abram believed him, and it was credited to him as righteousness, the Bible says. And so because of what Jesus has done, we don't wonder whether these things will be ours. We wonder because they're ours, okay? So let me ask you this. How is your hope doing this Advent season or this past year, this past five years? How's hope doing? As a commodity, have you been instilling hope in others? And I don't mean necessarily, let me be specific about that. I don't mean do you say positive words to people, although that's part of it. But I mean authentically, in a genuine fashion, are you instilling hope in others? And sometimes that might mean we say um, things that the other person may not necessarily want to hear at a time when they may not necessarily want to hear it. We do that lovingly. We do that in the right way. But that's instilling hope in other people. So are you instilling hope in other people with uh, seeing hope as a commodity, as a reservoir? How's your supply? Has it been running low? And anyone who's low on hope... One of the first things I would wonder is, are you reading God's word? Are you uh, interacting? Are you praying? Are you interacting with other believers? Are you connected to him in those varieties of ways? As an anchor or as a person, how is your hope? Is your hope rooted in Christ? Or are you asking him, you've got your agenda, and you're asking him to come and bless what you're doing? Now, he won't do that. We anchored to him, and he might bless this, but he's not obligated to. So how's your hope doing? It's interesting that the Advent season includes the uh, longest night of the year, right? It includes the day, October, or December 21st, with the most darkness. We talk about all this hope and during the Advent season, and the Advent season is the time of the calendar year where everything starts getting darker, longer and longer and longer, Okay. Uh, but in the middle of all that darkness, Advent implies that we do exactly what we've been doing this morning. Slow down, take stock of what's going on around us, take stock of the troubling signs, as Jesus talked about, the return of the Son of Man. And we live with our heads lifted up, as the psalmist said, Psalm 121, I lift up my eyes to the hills. I want to ask you to stand, if you would, as we close here. Um,
if you were raised, again, in a Catholic or Presbyterian Lutheran tradition, you know, something like that, where you did observe Lent and you had more of a uh, liturgical-type service, uh, there's a certain part at the closing uh, of a service, and it's called the Memorial Acclamation, Nine Words of Hope. Nine words of hope. And I want to ask you to recite that with me as we close. If you put that up there for us, please. Let's recite this together. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. Let's pray. Lord, thank you this morning for uh, the ultimate hope in your son, Jesus. Lord, uh, forgive us for the times when we've asked him to bless our agenda rather than us surrendering and getting on board with his agenda. We look to you as hope, and my prayer uh, today is that when we leave here, we wouldn't leave uh, the uh, spirit of this service here, that we would take this with us and carve out time the rest of this day and even this week to think about you as hope. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.